Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. All right, we'll uh, be opening back up tonight to Romans chapter 11 and uh, be looking at a portion of what is listed as the next heading in probably most people's Bibles. Um, I know in most Bibles it's listed as new branches being grafted in. And uh, that is the beginning of the section that we'll be looking at. We won't quite get to the part about them talking about where Paul talks about the new branches, but we will be looking at um, a section of Scripture that leads into it. It's Romans 11 through 15. And this is one of the sections of Scripture that can be confusing if you've not read what is leading up to it. And that's typically what happens with most passages that are confusing is because we don't know what's around it. Uh, it'd be like me, actually, in, in, in class, one of, the, uh, one of the classes that I'm taking this semester, we had to write a letter to somebody and then put, in, put it in. And then we had to take two other people's letters and read them and figure out what they were trying to say. But one of the steps that we were supposed to do is in that letter, find a portion of that letter, take it out of context and say something about it that we want to make up. And the point in that exercise was understanding that we have to take things in context. If we don't read the whole letter, we're not going to understand what portions of the letter are saying. And because Paul wrote massive letters, if we don't read the whole letter, we're not going to understand what Paul's saying. But we have. We have read all of Romans up to this point. So what Paul is saying is going to tie into what he's been saying. And that is, for this passage of Scripture, that God has a certain purpose. Um, to, uh, to kind of maybe illustrate some of, of what Paul is going to cover tonight. Um, I remember as a, I, I'm not sure the age that I was, and Brother Charles, Brother Ricky, Miss Amy, Miss Claudette, Mom, Lindsay, pretty much anybody in here can probably reference things in their mind where this will start to make sense. But I was pretty convinced that I had a good idea how something worked. And I was there to help somebody do that thing. Um, as they were doing it, though, I get, would get to the point where I would have no clue what in the world they were doing. I was just there to be, to, to, to be there hand a tool, hold a light, whatever it may be, and that's what I was there for. And I, in my mind, I'm like, I know how this works, but the farther it got into it, I'm like, oh my goodness, what is happening? Mm -hmm. um, I actually heard a guy give an illustration. He was a surgeon, and he said his first time in a surgery, they had never, he had had all the book work, of all the surgery, he'd done all the textbook stuff, but the first time he was ever actually in the surgical theater, that's what they call it, he said he had no clue what was going on. He knew how stuff worked. He knew, he knew those, 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 those parts of it, but he, he had, didn't have any idea what was going on. He said, but the good thing with that was, and the good thing in my life was, the person who was there doing the things had the plan in mind before they started. 
when a doctor goes in to do surgery, he knows what he's going to do before he gets started. While a surgical tech or somebody else may not have any idea what's going on, the one who's doing the work knows what he or she is doing. And that's what Paul is conveying tonight, is that there is somebody who has started this plan, and Paul is looking at some of this plan and is saying, I may not know exactly how this is working out, and I may can look around and not see exactly how it's happening, but what I do know is that this master surgeon that started out with the plan knows what he's doing, and because he has shown himself to be true, and every other thing that he's ever promised has come to pass, Paul has complete confidence that God's plan is certain. And that's what we'll be looking at tonight is God's certain purpose or God's certain plan. So verse 11, we'll see the purpose of the stumbling of Israel. Verses 12 through 14, we will see the power in the stumbling of Israel. And verse number 15, we have the plan or the ultimate outcome of the stumbling of Israel. So verse number 11, Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall. And then Paul answers again, God forbid. Don't let it be so. Never never let it happen. That's not what God was doing. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So Paul's saying this happened for a reason and there's a purpose for the Gentile and a purpose for the Jew in all of what happened. Verse number 12, now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them be the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles insomuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from death? So Paul's saying all of what we've talked about before, this remnant of Israel, this fall of Israel, this putting away of Israel, and this picking up of Israel, all happened for a purpose. And Paul talks about that purpose in verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And what Paul is conveying is he's saying, he's, he's basically asking that rhetorical question like we've talked about before over and over again. He's asking that rhetorical question so he can explain the answer. He says, in reference to Israel, did they stumble or did they misstep or did they go the wrong way so that God could cast them off completely. And in essence, what Paul's saying is God completely done with his people. Is God done with Israel? And his answer to that is God forbid. He said, by no means is God done with Israel. And he spoke to that in those passages before because he said that he himself is proof that God is not done with Israel. God's remnant that he has was always there and will always be there. And God has not taken Israel as a whole and cast them off so that they are no longer able to come into the plan of God. 
And that's what Paul's saying. He, he, he's actually referencing back to what we looked at last week about their eyes being darkened and them being bad down that they cannot see. He's, he's referencing all of these things where they're hardened in their heart because of their disobedience and says, did this happen so God could just get rid of them, wipe the slate clean and start over with the Gentiles? And to his, his answer to that was God forbid. The Jewish people themselves aren't cut off but he mentions in the next section of this verse what the reason or the purpose for their fall was. He says, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So he says the first thing that, the first reason that this happened, the first reason that God used and hardened Israel when they didn't come in to believe the Messiah was so that the salvation would come to the Gentiles. And again, if we look back through the Old Testament and even through the teachings of Christ, if you remember back at even at his birth, they took him to the temple and the priest there said that he would be a light unto the Gentiles. He understood the prophecies. He understood what was supposed to happen is Christ was come for the entire world. It wasn't just a Jewish Messiah, but it was a global Messiah. It was a global Savior. It wasn't God just with the Israelites, but Emmanuel, just like in the song that we sung tonight, Emmanuel was God with us, all of us. God came to be with us all, not one specific group of people, not one specific race, not one specific class, but he came to us all. And John 1, again, I know we referenced John 1 a few times last week, but John 1 said he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. And that's what Paul's saying. He said their fall happened and their hardening happened so that salvation could come to the Gentiles. But talking back towards Israel again, he said they're not cut off, but salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. This is something that we saw last week again. We've seen it even in chapter number 10. If we look back at chapter number 10, verse number 19, Paul said there, he said, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. And that's a reference that Paul was making back to Deuteronomy 34, verse number 21. What Moses said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was that God was going to provoke Israel to jealousy. And that is the story of the Old Testament, if we ever know the story of the Old Testament. It's constantly again and again and again, God having to judge his people to provoke them to come back to him. They, in essence, have gotten to the point to where they continuously provoke God to provoke them. And that's one of the things that Paul's saying by referencing us back to what he's already said is that he said it shouldn't, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be confusing to you that God is provoking you to jealousy because you are continuously provoking God to jealousy. Even in Exodus 20, verse number 5, God says to the children of Israel, he says, I am a jealous God. The word jealousy there in Exodus and every time that God talks about jealousy, it doesn't mean envious you know, when we think about jealousy, it's, well, they have something that I don't have, and I'm jealous that they have that and I don't have it. 
It's really an envious jealousy. But what God has is a perfect jealousy. And what that jealousy is for him is it's a zeal or a passion. God was saying to the children of Israel in Exodus 20, he said, I have a passion for you. I'm a passionate God. And that's one of the things that we can get caught up in sometimes is looking at God and seeing him as being someone who is is almost standing back from the world stage and just letting it play out. But God has said to the children of Israel who were his people, and God says to us as an echo to the church who are his people, he is a passionate God for his people. God's heart never wanes. It never gets cold for his people, but he's passionate and he's zealous for those that he's brought to himself. And that's what he's saying there. He's saying that he has done, because he is passionate for you, he has done something to make you passionate for him. He's, he's given salvation to the Gentiles to provoke you to jealousy. So you'll look at them and say, well, what is he doing giving? And that's, that's what the Jews did in the early church. They were all upset because the Gentiles were getting in on it. And they were like, well, we're going to have to start laying out these regulations where you need to be circumcised, you need to be committed to the Sabbath day, all these different things. And they tried to, to kind of segregate the church out because they were upset that the Gentiles were in on these promises of God. They were jealous. And that was the purpose. That was the purpose of what God did. He was given salvation to them that they would stop provoking him and making him passionate and jealous toward them and he was going to turn the table, so to speak, and make them jealous back toward him. He was trying to relight that fire of passion in their hearts yeah. back to him. And that's what God does with us. When we start to go a different direction in our life, God will many times bring a correcting hand to make us passionate and zealous for him again. I know times, even, even in my life, there's times when I have gotten cold towards God and something will happen, whether it be good or bad, but God brings things into our lives that reignite that passion, that, that give us that, that zeal for Him, for His Word, for prayer, for witness, those different aspects that God works in our life. He does those things to make us passionate for Him because He is always passionate for us. So we have the purpose in verse number 11. And that purpose is that the Jews are not cut off, but that salvation goes to the Gentiles and that the Jews become jealous or passionate towards God again. To look down through the next couple of verses, we see the power in the stumbling. And what Paul is saying, he, he basically is explaining how powerful God's plan is going to be. So we know God's purpose is certain, but his power is certain. So verse number 12, he says, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them be the riches of the Gentiles, how much more... Their fullness. And again, Paul is talking, when he says their fall, he's talking about their misstep, their wrong direction, them going after the wrong things. 
which again is it, it rings and echoes of the Old Testament because that's what they did. They went after other things. They were constantly going in a different direction and God had to steer them back towards him many times through being brought out from where they were at, being held captive, and then being released over and over. Whether it was Egypt or Assyria or Babylon or whoever it was, God is bringing his people back to himself. And that's what he's giving us. He said, because of their fall, their misstep, they're going the wrong direction. Jesus is brought to everyone. And that's, that's what he's saying. There. He said, because of their fall, r- the riches came to the world. And he's speaking there to the crucifixion. Because they rejected their Messiah. And again, this didn't take God by surprise. We understand that. But because they rejected their Messiah, riches came to the world. The whole world was blessed because the Jews rejected their Messiah. That was the promise that was given to Abraham. The whole world would be blessed through you. And then they were blessed because Abraham's direct descendants rejected the promise that God gave to them. So those riches came to the whole world because they rejected Christ. And then it says, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles. So he said what, what happened was the Jews rejected Christ. Christ and the whole world gained riches from that. The whole world was blessed because of their rejection. He said even further, they were diminished or what he had talked about in the verses previous. They were hardened. They were made blind. They were shown mercy in, even in their rejection so that the Gentiles could see the riches. So that not only did their fall bring riches to the world, but their fall brought riches to the Gentiles. And this even, it even points us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 23, where Paul says that Christ was a stumbling block to the Jew, but he's the cornerstone for all of us who believe. So he's, he's there, and the Jews are falling or tripping over him. And every time that they trip over him, riches come to the world. And every time they trip over him again and again, and they diminish more and more, and they become more and more injured by the scandal of the gospel, the Gentiles are given more and more and more riches through Christ. And that's what Paul's purpose was in his preaching. And we can see that in verse number 13. Actually, just let me, let me back up real quick to verse number 12. He said, if riches, their fall calls riches to the world, and the diminution calls riches to the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? And what Paul is doing here is he's per- preparing us for what he's getting ready to say. And that word fullness, if you remember, sends us back to Chapter 10, verse number 4, where he said, Christ is the end of the law for, the, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So what Paul's saying, he said, he said if, if, their, if their misstep, if their rejection of Christ, if they're going a different direction and not trusting and lifting up their Messiah caused all these good things, how much more good things are going to happen when they get to that fulfillment? When they actually see Christ for who he is and all of these Jewish people start to come back to God and Judaism fades away into Christianity, how much more will the riches come into the world by that happening? Verse 13, Paul says that's why he does what he does. He says that he's preaching to glorify his office. Verse 13 says, For I speak to you Gentiles insomuch as I 
am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. And I've heard this verse taken and gone all kind of different directions with. But what Paul, he's not saying that I'm preaching to the Gentiles to lift myself up. Paul is not going out to all these Gentile churches so that he can have the Apostle Paul ministries be on billboards everywhere. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul wasn't looking to glorify himself. Even even all of his other writings point us to that. He says, I glory in nothing but the cross. That's what he said. He said, I don't want any. He said, all the stuff that I could glory in, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, sitting under Gamaliel, all of these other things that I could glory in, I count those as dung that I may win Christ. That's what he wanted. All he wanted was Christ. And, and, and him crucified as his message. He wasn't looking to lift himself up, but what he was saying in verse 13, he said, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. He said, I'm writing this letter to you in this Roman church only for the reason that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. He said, the only reason I'm writing to you is because I've been made an apostle to you. I wouldn't be writing to you because... He has already said in verse nine, in chapter nine and, verse, and chapter ten that his heart is for his brethren. His heart is for the Jews. He wants to see the Jews saved. That's what his zeal is for. His passion is for seeing this Jewish people come to know their Messiah. But he said, "I've been made an apostle to the Gentiles, and I'm speaking to you because I've been made an apostle to the Gentiles." He says, I, "Because of that, I magnify mine office." What Paul's saying, he said, "I want to give." the gospel to as many Gentiles as I can because I know God's purpose is to make the Jews jealous by the Gentiles receiving the gospel. So Paul is saying, because I understand God's plan, what I'm doing is I'm going to go as far as I can go with these Jewish or as far as I can go with these Gentile people to make the Jews even more jealous than they were before. He said, I want to do all that I can to make the Jewish people jealous because that was the plan of God. He didn't he wasn't trying to go and and not 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 to get off track, but Paul wasn't trying to go to all of these Jews and trying to lead them in a prayer or do anything like that or try and convert them in some way. He would go, if you read through the book of Acts, he would go to the synagogue first and they would always reject him and then he would go to the Gentiles. He always did it the exact same way. And again, he's telling the Romans here. I did that because I knew that it would make the Jewish people jealous. I knew that this Pharisee of Pharisees was going to make people jealous when he went to the synagogue, to the Jewish people, and then went over to the Gentiles. He was doing it on purpose because that was the plan of God. So he's trying to lift up his office. He's trying to glorify his office as an apostle to the Gentiles to make his brethren jealous. His heart hasn't changed. He wants to see the Jews come to Christ and understanding that God's plan was them to be jealous of the Gentiles getting the gospel, he's doing all he can to be a part of that plan. Paul's glorifying his office is glorifying God in front of the Jews. And that was, that was what, he, what his whole purpose was. In verse number 14... He says, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, that I might save some. And again, that's, that, that's clarifying what was just said in verse number 13. He's lifting up his office so that he may provoke to emulation or provoke to jealousy 
them which are my flesh. So he says, I'm doing this to make people who are my brethren, who are Jewish people, jealous. And then verse number 15, we see the plan that God has in this Jewish stumbling. He says, For if the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from death? And Paul seemingly contradicts himself here because he says, For if the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world, well, in verse number one, Paul said, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. So did he cast them off or did he not cast them off? And the answer is yes, he did. But it was a partial casting and a temporary casting. What Paul's saying in verse number one is that they were partially cast away. That not all of them were cast off. Not all of them were hard. Not all of them were blinded. Not all of them had rejected the Messiah. And he was the proof of that. But in verse 11, he's explained to them that not only was this casting off partial, but it's temporary. He said the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world. He's saying the reason that it happened was so that God would reconcile the entire world to himself. Israel was a part of God's plan. And the simplest way that I know how to explain that is almost like when you're building a building that's tall, a couple stories high, you typically have to build scaffolding to be able to build that building. That's, that's typically how people do it. They'll build up scaffolding as they go, and then they'll tear the scaffolding down, and then they'll go back up, and then they'll tear it back down. And what Paul is saying, he said, I don't want you to look at Israel and their casting off as God tearing down the scaffolding to set it aside. But what God has been doing, and we have references to this in Ephesians and even 1 Peter, where Paul says that the foundation that God built upon was the apostles and the prophets. Even if we look into the book of Revelation, if you look at the book of Revelation, what are those foundation stones that, that John sees in this new Jerusalem? As he looks at this foundation, he, sees 12, he says he sees 12 stones one way and 12 stones another way. And it was the names of the apostles on one side, and it was the names of the prophets on the other side. Or not the prophets, it was the name of the children of, Ab- of, the children of Israel, the children of Jews, or of Jacob. I'm sorry, that was my mistake. Um, but that's what John saw. He said, it, he said everything that God has done, this, this new kingdom that God is building, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the children of Israel. Amen. And Christ was the cornerstone. Christ was, the, the, Christ was where they intersect. But what Paul is conveying to these Jewish people, he said it's not that God has built up scaffolding to build his church and then tore it down and got rid of it because he didn't need it anymore. But in Paul's mind, it's almost like building a house where if you were building, you'd build a second story and then you start standing up walls on your second story. Paul is saying that the scaffolding that God is using to build his church throughout history, from the beginning of time until now, is becoming part of the building. 
what we don't necessarily see right now because we're just here being part of the work. We're standing here. We're being participants in what God is doing, but God's doing the work. And we can look around and say, well, I don't really understand what's going on. And we can even look around and say, well, I think I'm going to figure out what's going on. And I'm going to start connecting this piece to this piece and here over here. And then we just end up in a mess and not knowing what in the world we're talking about. But what Paul is saying, he said, we may not know how it's going to happen. We may not be able to see it completely clearly. But what we can see and what we do know is God has always been building this church. God's always had a plan. He never changed. He never switched directions. He never said, oh, they went this way, so i got to do something different. God's plan has always been the same. And it echoes throughout the Old Testament because that's why he said that he did it to provoke them to jealousy. Because that's what he did in the Old Testament. God doesn't change. God doesn't do things differently. He said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's not going to cast off us because he's not cast off Israel. They're part of what he's building. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that they haven't been set aside But they are part of his plan and purpose and will always be part of his plan and purpose. We may not see that scaffolding part of the building as clearly as we may have in one point in time. But that just means God's closer to finishing the building. We may not see what's going on around us, but we can know that he is constantly building his church. And again, even the song that we sung tonight, he said that... What he was doing would never lose his power until all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. That's the plan of God, to bring his people together. That's what John saw. John saw people that he couldn't number of every tribe, tongue, and nation. He saw it all. And whenever he saw that, he saw the foundations of it. He saw how God was building these things. And he wasn't confused about what was going on. He said he understood. He said, God, this was God's plan. Paul was saying this is God's plan. He says in verse number five, he said, the casting away of them be the reconciliation of the world. What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Basically what Paul's saying here, he said, if the casting off, if God seemingly setting aside the nation of Israel brought the reconciliation of the world. If Paul, what Paul is saying here, he's saying if you think that Calvary was something, if you think that God saving the world was something, you haven't seen anything yet. He says that the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from death? He said, when you look around at you, when you see these small little, what you think are revivals that are going on around you, you're seeing death compared to what God has planned. Because what God has planned is to bring all of his people back to himself. When I was, when I was reading through this this week, it, it sent my mind back to one of the stories that Jesus told. You go back to Luke 15. It's one of the, one of the more notable parables that we, that we remember. Luke 15 talks about a sheep getting lost and the shepherd going after the one sheep. And then it talks about a coin getting lost and the woman going after the coin. 
And in both of these places, everybody's excited that what was lost was found. But then we get over to this story about these two brothers and their father. This younger brother says, I want everything that's mine, and I'm going to go live how I want to. And he does just that. He goes, the Bible calls, goes and spends all of his money on riotous living. He goes and does whatever he wants. But just like always happens, when you don't have nothing coming in and you only have stuff going out, what was going out runs out. And that's what happened to him. All of what he thought, all the riches that he thought he had, they, they were gone. And he finds himself in a hog pen looking at, basically looking at the, the trash from somebody else's table and thinking, well, that looks pretty good. I'm probably going to eat that. And then he dawns on him. I don't, what am I doing here? I, I can go back to my father's house and be a servant. I can go do what, what he wants, whatever he wants done, and he can pay me a wage and I'll live better than this. He gets back there, and I know we all know the story, but he gets back there. The father's waiting on him, runs after him, kisses him before he can even say, I was wrong, just let me be a servant. He's already putting new clothes on him, putting a ring on his finger. He's already celebrating that he's come back. We get over to the other part of the story, and there's his elder brother who's outside sulking because he deserved more than he got. His father comes out there and says, what are you doing? Why aren't you in here? Your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And he was out there unhappy that the father was showing love to his son. And we understand that this whole parable was Jesus talking to the Pharisees and saying, you are not happy that God came to save. You're not happy about it. The Messiah is here and you don't like him. You're not happy about it. What Paul is saying here is that the father is bestowing onto the younger son to make the older brother jealous. And one day, you could go back to that story and you could look in the windows of that house and what you would see is the prodigal son and the elder brother both in the father's house, both celebrating his love. That's the story that you that you that the story that Paul is telling us is going to happen. He's saying if if there was some good came out of this, the son came home. Everybody was happy about that. They threw him a party. And if you think that was something, just wait until the other brother gets in here and he's happy about it too. Because that's the plan of God. The plan of God was to show his love on both of the brethren. That's what he wanted from the beginning. He was passionate toward both of his sons. But he wanted that passion back in the elder son. And that was God's plan. The plan in the stumbling was to bring both sons in together. That both of them could enjoy the love of God. That when anybody came around, they see both sons bringing glory to the love of the father. The older son, he's bringing glory to the love of the father who didn't just completely cast him off and say, well, if you're going to act this way, just get out of here. That's not what the father did. He didn't send off the younger son when he came back, and he didn't send off the older son whenever he was mad about it. But the plan of God is and has always been to show his love to his people. Even our purpose on the earth is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
And Paul's telling us, if you think it's been good so far, just wait. You may not know how it's going to happen. You may not know how it comes together. But when you see it, it's going to be something else. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be 